0: you're listening to the extra point podcast during this podcast we will dive deeper in our sunday teaching and share practical next steps for your faith journey now let's kick off the extra point welcome back to the extra point i'm cheryl ross the next steps and discipleship pastor here at Southridge church and i'm joined with scott beha our lead pastor And we just kicked off a brand new teaching series on Sunday, so tell us a little bit about what the series is about, what we can expect over the next eight or however many weeks.
1: Yeah, so the new series is called Inception, and the series title came from um, the definition of the word inception, which actually means... Um, It's an act or process Or instance of beginning And so in this series what we're doing is going back To the beginning um, Back to Genesis 1 um, Through 11 which is Arguably the 11 of the most Difficult passages in all of the Bible to make sense of because There's very little Agreement among people On exactly um, What they're all about I mean I think on the large points which is the points that we're trying to focus on there's great agreement but then it's some of the other stuff and like i think it's unfortunate that these 11 chapters get um kind of taken up by some of the arguments and disagreements and we miss some of the really most important parts um of them as you know everyone wants to debate whether it's young earth or old earth or whether genesis one was about the material creation of the earth or whether it was talking about something totally different and like in all of those arguments the thing that always gets missed is like these very key points like we pointed out on sunday like you know perhaps we don't need to focus on how it happened but the fact that it did happen who was behind all of it it was god and that this god that the hebrew creation story talks about doesn't have a genesis whereas some of the other pagan nations around them talk about how their god was created and then went on to create but the god that creates in genesis one was not a created being and so i mean we have to think about how like revolutionary that would be to put a creation narrative out into a uh out into the Uh, world where everyone else is used to these gods that are created but this is like this uncreated god and it's like there's something different Mm -hmm. about this story and like we miss some of that stuff when we're too busy fighting about evolution and the the literal six days and what does the day Uh the word day really mean Uh and it's it's just it's sad that we get caught up in those sorts of things and miss it and so that's what we're going to be doing in the inception series is looking at genesis 1 to 11 because really the better we understand the foundation of humanity in in its inception the better we understand our purpose in life because at the end of the day um we want what we're teaching here at Southridge to inform the way that we live our lives and not just so we have more head knowledge um you know the argument between young earth and old earth is more about who is smarter, who has better evidence, and who can Uh argue it better, and it's all head knowledge. Whereas I'm not sure at the end of that argument that you're going to find a lot of, you know, this is why you should live in a certain way Uh um, type things, and that's what gets missed in those debates, is why it actually matters. And so we're just going to focus on the really big things that we see in... The passages in those chapters, and then mm-hmm. there's some that maybe as I teach, you'll disagree with some of uh, the things that I that I have to say about it. But I, I promise we'll agree on the really big things because I know already, like some people, you know, when, when we say, "Hey, let's not focus on whether or not this is talking about a young earth or an old earth," that mm-hmm. already makes people really uncomfortable. Yeah. From the beginning, or whenever I say stuff, sort of not not unintentionally, but, like, without being completely clear Uh and very um, intentional about how I say it. So whenever I said, like, at second service, I said something that as I look back, I go, like, I wish that I hadn't said it in the way that I said it, and it was about I'll fly away theology. I kind of, (laughs) like, I didn't say it with enough respect as what I should Mm -hmm. for people that believe that way, but that's always something that really, like, frustrates people um, when they're, like, This is what I've heard since I was little And Mm -hmm. I'm like well that's what I've heard since I was little as well But Mm -hmm. the more that I study the Bible The more that I listen to people that study the Bible for a living The more that I'm convinced that we've We've really made Christianity The end of Christianity Mm -hmm. something really different Than what the Bible even speaks to And so there will be things in this series Especially I mean we're talking about like Genesis 2 this week, like, I'm already reading through it, and I go, like, man, there's so much, there might be more disagreement about Genesis 2 than there is about Genesis Mm 1, because a lot of people can't figure out why there is a Genesis 2. If we already did the creation narrative, why does Genesis 2 come in and (laughs) almost redo the creation narrative but in a totally different order? Mm -hmm. Like, man comes first, and then it says the animals, and then they said there's no vegetation, but then the man, but the vegetation was supposed to be before the man, and, like, so what in the world is going on? in that Mm -hmm. passage there has to be something other being said Mm -hmm. to us that maybe doesn't have so much to do with the mechanism of creation but maybe says more about god's relationship to humanity and then you get into the fall of humankind and Mm -hmm. genesis 3 and a talking snake and and then the curse for the snake is that it has to slither on its belly but we already know that that's what snakes do anyway so what in the world was going (laughs) on with the snake and like
0: could have looked different before (laughs) it
1: could have been different and it's all this stuff it's like because none of us were eyewitnesses to it and all we have is this ancient text to go like well Mm -hmm. that we really have to focus on the really broad things like okay there's this flood thing that's going to come up in this like this is a strange story Mm -hmm. some people think a global flood some think a local flood Mm -hmm. some think a you know a theoretical flood of, of sorts that okay like and all of these people like agree on really large strokes of what the text is saying but then the literality of it or how literal they take it is all different and so like how do we wrestle with that how do we wrestle with things like the nephylum in genesis 6 where some people think that they're giants and some people think that they're demons and yeah, it it is the craziest 11 chapters in all of the scriptures mm-hmm. and then ending up with the Tower of Babel. And it's like, of course, we can't build a tower up to heaven. But yet that's what these people thought. And God knows that they can't do it. So why did God intervene? Yeah, the whole thing is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And so if we try to get, you know, down to all these like little minuscule things. I think we miss the point of what all of this is saying Mm -hmm. about humanity, our relationship to God, our relationship to creation, our relationship to each other, and ultimately the plan that God has for each and every one Mm -hmm. of our lives. Those are the things that matter a lot more than some of these other things that we like to argue about.
0: Absolutely. So speaking on purpose and, and our purpose for our lives, one of the things that you said in leading up to the purpose aspect that I thought was really great and just a really good reminder for all of us. As you said, you were saying, you know, God forms it and then he fills it. And if he forms it, he wants to fill it. And you related that to us. And um, let's talk about that for a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is something I never even really saw until this round of studying Genesis. And I've been studying Genesis since I was a kid, Um, that the first three days of creation, um, are are dealing with these forms of things, and then the next three are filling those three things. So the the next three are directly related to the first three. So you have light being formed in day one, but yet it's not set into the sun, moon, and stars, and these things that are lights or whatnot mm-hmm. um, at that point. And so he forms it, and then he fills it out in um, day four of the creation narrative. Day two, he um, gosh, I'm probably going to butcher all this because <laughs> like day two, he separates what what the early primitive Hebrew writer says are the heavenly waters from the waters below, which we know that there's not water up in the sky other than, you know, condensation, sitting in clouds. All that. We, we get that. We understand that in 2022. They did not understand that there. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it looked uh, their view of creation is God set a solid dome up in the sky to block the waters from up there. And then there would be the waters below. And so what you see is now the skies are being created, the heavens, you know, space and all this stuff is being created. The waters are being created. And then come day five, we fill it with birds. We fill it with fish. And then day six, God puts all the water into one place. Now the dry land, <clears throat> dry land is available. On day six, he fills it with vegetation. Well, he fills it with vegetation on day three, but then fills it with... Um, humanity and animals on day six so he fills or he forms it first and then he Mm -hmm. fills it and so that's it's an interesting thought to Mm -hmm. understand how the six days of creation relate to one another but what what does all of that matter to us and this is where i think we get off track by focused on the wrong things Mm -hmm. and so all week long as i'm studying that all i kept hearing was like if he forms it then then he fills it Right. And so if God forms us, then he wants to fill us. Mm -hmm. And and that means that like every single person that's ever been conceived, um, if God forms you the way that it says in Psalm 139, like he knit me together in my mother's womb, like if he forms me, he ultimately intends to fill me with all of the things Uh, that he has prepared for me. So he he wants to fill me with his spirit, first and foremost, the way it's his spirit living within me. And then he wants to fill me with purpose and passion and and pleasure and all these Mm -hmm. things that he has to give to me. And so he forms that which he will fill. That's one of the major points in the first six days of creation. Mm -hmm. That's a much more compelling point to me that Mm -hmm. matters for our life on Monday than deciding whether or not how he brought about... Vegetation on day three without a sun, on day four because we know that the sun is vital to bring about vegetation, mm-hmm. and yet it's not there till day four, and yet there's vegetation on day three. Mm-hmm. So we sit there and argue about how how can this be the material creation of the world if that's well that's not the point. Mm-hmm. We miss all of that, and so I think that forming and filling seems to be. And actually, I'm, I've, I've got like six or seven books that I'm reading for this series as we work through it, and every single one of them though they might disagree on some of the other aspects of the chapters they all agree that there is a forming and filling happening in the Mm -hmm. first six days of creation and so that's what it means for you is he if he forms you he ultimately plans to fill you so that means he has a plan for your life you're not made accidentally you're not made to just try to go find your own way like ultimately the one who formed you fills you with everything that you need for a rich and satisfying life
0: awesome and then I loved when you were talking about how, you know, we have an inherent worth. We we are made on purpose for a purpose. And you talked about the reflection aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, let's tell people that phrasing that you used again. And let's talk about how we can do this practically in our lives.
1: Yeah, so Genesis one twenty six and 27 talk about humanity being made in the image of God. And And theologians and pastors and Christians have been going around for centuries now talking about, being made in the image of God. And honestly, I remember being told that in church growing up, but not really even understanding what that means. Like, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And then my, one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright says the image of God is a lot like an angled mirror. He says, um, where we are as the image of God in creation, reflecting God's wise stewardship to the created order. So we are showing the created order, what God is like. So that's us taking God, you know, and showing him to the created order. But then from that, as the created order responds to the wise stewardship of the creator, then praise for that creator is ultimately the product. And then we're also the conduit of that. That's why we are made as people who worship to then return the praises of creation back to the creator. So it's like a two way street, and we play the role of that. We show the creation what God is like and then we reflect the praises of creation back to him and that is ultimately what the purpose of humanity is tied to is that image of God and within that yes it means that you have um, value it means that you have purpose and all these different things but it also means that you have been given your marching orders as humanity Um, and so and this is where we get so off course with the Bible and while we shrink the Bible down to some little tiny thing that has to do with our sin and how we, you know, get our sins forgiven so we can go to heaven. We shrink all of that down to something that we can understand because we don't want to sit here and wrestle with the implications of the I- imago Dei, the image of God in us, which is a lot more than just like, hey, stop sinning so you can go to heaven. It's more like, hey, go and show the creation what God is like. And through that, clearly God does not sin. There's no evil within him. So we go and we act justly, and we go and act with love and kindness and charity, and we go and act with bravery, and all these things that are the essence of who God is, we go and live those out. And clearly that, that leads us away from a life of sin. But like to only say, it's like, oh, stop going and doing the, the bad stuff, is to neglect also putting on the positive characteristics of god to reflect that into creation as well and so like we kind of whittle down scripture to make it all just about sin rather than total restoration total recreation of the created order so god is concerned with your sin but he's also concerned with how our sin is affecting all of creation how our sin of greed is causing people to be Um, hungry all around the world, how our uh, sin of selfishness causes us to not care about people who are in compromised and vulnerable situations, and and how, like, all of these different things. So it can't just be this one little small aspect of the story of God. We have to be able to take the whole thing, and we get it all the way from the beginning. But when we don't understand the Imago Dei and, and the divine vocation that comes along with the image of God in us, then we shrink Christianity down to something that we can easily understand and we get really focused on learning how to be good moral people and then focus on the morality of everyone else rather than actually living up to our God-given purpose. Like being image bearers of God in this way is what it means to be genuinely human. People who reject God, yes, they are, they are choosing their sin, but they're also, it's a rejection of of their God-given purpose. That's what's actually happening. When we choose our own way, it is a rejection of our God-given purpose to not act as the Creator would act in creation.
0: That's great. So now, at the very beginning, you talked about how we have to remember as we're reading through the Bible that the Bible was written for us and not just to us. And you gave a few different things for us to kind of focus on as we go through this and um, let's talk about that for a little bit. So we keep that in mind, not just through this series, but all the time as we read yeah. the Bible and begin to interpret it and figure out how to apply it to our lives. What are those things that we need to think about and look at?
1: Yeah. The, this interpretive principle will become most obvious in our next series. Whenever we start going to the, the book of revelation and we start talking about end times mm-hmm. or whatever you want to label all that as, That's the easiest way to see this point of that the Bible was written for us and not to us um, is like when we go to the book of Revelation, we go, okay... The reason why people have gotten so many goofy ideas about what the book of Revelation actually has to say, like when when there's a part in the book of Revelation and the exact verse and chapter is escaping me, but there's a part where I think there's a bunch of locusts in a pit or something like that. Well, there's been interpretations of that, that those um, are probably Apache helicopters, right? So that those are Apache helicopters, and this has to do with some big battle that's going to go on in the world. Well, just imagine being John sitting on the Isle of Patmos and you're writing a letter to the persecuted church in, um, the, at the, in the seven churches of Asia, where you know that they are losing their life, they're losing their businesses, they can't afford to um, you know, pay for food for their kids and all of this stuff. All of this is happening. And then we go and read John's writings and, and, and we go, wow, that's neat. He's warning these people about Apache helicopters in the first century. It's like, that's what happens when we don't realize that we are not the original audience, but we are a secondary audience to the written text. So the letter to 1 Corinthians is not written to us. It's written to the church in Corinth. So therefore, it can't say something to us that it did not originally say to them. So the same thing comes by way of interpretation with Genesis. We cannot say Genesis is somehow dealing with something now that it wasn't dealing with then. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it's it's more likely that Genesis 1 and 2 are not dealing so much with science because we know how science has changed over the the amount of time that people have been living. And I don't mean like, oh, you can't trust science. I'm just saying, no, let's just be honest. Like, before... Before we realized that the Earth was or the the universe was expanding, there was something called the steady state theory that they thought that that everything had just always been just the way that it was or whatever. Well, then they found a new thing and they said, "Oh no, never mind. It was all now. It's always been expanding." And so that's the new thing. And if two hundred years from now they find something different, that's why God doesn't appeal to us based on science. Science and Christianity are not at odds with one another, even though there's always been that war you know, that people have tried to make on Christianity or science one way or another. But it's like, it doesn't seem to me like God is talking about science in Genesis one because of the primitive things that we see happening. Like when he says, all right, in Genesis three or in the the second day of creation, God put a solid dome up in the sky to hold back. No, of course we know that that's not scientifically correct. So God's not teaching science there. Uh This is a, Hebrew writer through the power of the Holy Spirit trying to write into a way that a primitive culture can understand that something is happening that's bringing order into all of this chaos. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense to me than saying that Genesis 1 is definitely without a shadow of a doubt the material creation of the universe. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it doesn't say that. I'm just saying I think that it requires more conversation than just oh no genesis one is definitely about the material creation of the universe if that's the case then i i have some questions that need answered and people like me who would say i don't know if that's what it's really about he, here's what we're not saying we're not saying god's not the one that created it all mm-hmm. i still believe god is the one who who created absolutely everything mm-hmm as as uh, i believe it's colossians says it was all created through jesus i'm not denying any of that Mm -hmm. i'm just saying what if genesis 1 isn't about that what if genesis 1 is about something else and what if it was just for god he goes it's so obvious i'm the one that created everything i didn't feel like i needed to hold your hand and walk you through how i did it it You know, it just seems very obvious to me that, like, I didn't need to tell you that. And so maybe the starting point of the Bible is something other than material creation. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying maybe we should think through that. And so we have to think, what did Genesis 1 mean to that original audience whenever Mm -hmm. it was written? And then what are the timeless truths that it still speaks to us? And then part of that is the second thing— when it comes to interpretation is understanding the time and place and the other literature of that era. If you don't know anything about the Babylonian cosmology or the Egyptian cosmology that was surrounding the the Israelites when they wrote this, then ultimately you might not know exactly the intent of what israel was trying to write when they wrote their creation story Mm -hmm. and most of us me up until about three months ago completely ignorant of the other creation narratives and stories going on in the Mm -hmm. ancient world to then go to genesis and go like oh wow it's using a lot of the same imagery as something like the um enuma Elish and 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 these other texts that existed in the ancient world like Maybe, maybe they're trying to refute these other stories more than talk about material creation. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying we need to be more open and we have to get more educated on the culture and the literature of the time and place. And then the other thing that we, it, this just requires humility. A lot of people will not receive what I'm saying in this series simply because it's not going to always agree with what your Sunday school teacher told you growing up. And so we come with these modern presuppositions to the text where we have heard Genesis 1 argued about the material creation of the universe since the time the first time that we ever heard about it. and then we go like we can't read it without thinking mm-hmm. that I, it's still in me. as I yeah. read it, I go like this has always for me been material mm-hmm. creation of everything it's mm-hmm. all I've, and then I have to go, well I need to make sure that that's the proper way to read the text and make sure that I'm not bringing something to the text. Um, just because it's familiar to me, uh-huh. right? So, and this is how we tr- we do this with a lot of text. Uh-huh. Whatever it is that we've heard before, whatever is familiar, we bring it to the text. Or it, let's say that we have been hurt in a specific way in our past. We bring that hurt with us when we interpret text about uh-huh. pain and suffering and things like that. And then it causes us to not actually be able to see the essence of the text, but rather uh-huh. the slant of the text based on my own presupposition. And... All I'm saying is we have to be aware of that. Not Mm -hmm. that we can even really do much about it Mm -hmm. because our presuppositions are what they are. Our experiences of the world are what they are. I can't say that we can always just completely peel them back and be 100% neutral when we read these texts. We do just have to be aware of what those are Mm -hmm. so that way we can make sure that we do the best possible job of interpreting the text as
0: possible. That's awesome. So make sure you're keeping those things in mind as you go through this series with us and even into the next. And as you're doing your everyday study of the Bible or you're reading scriptures, um, keep those things in mind and always kind of ask yourself some questions. Who was this written to? What was the culture? What was the place? You know, what are the things that maybe I think about this or have been taught about this? And ask yourself questions along the way. It's a great way to dig a little bit deeper into the Word. But we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And we will be back here again next week. Thanks for tuning in to The Extra Point. Be sure to subscribe to the Southridge Church Podcast and tune in every Wednesday for another episode of The Extra Point.